0: Hello, hi, and welcome to The Tax Files. I'm Ali Kazmi, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my co-host, Hector Kumar. Hello, Hector.
1: Ali, hi. Welcome again to The Tax Files, a monthly audio podcast where alongside an esteemed guest, we will be discussing the most pertinent topics for tax and accounting professionals, while also getting to know some key members of the tax industry a little bit better. Ali, how have you been?
0: I'm really good. I was in Oman last week, 48 degrees centigrade, Wow! Uh, but, you know, I'm back in the gym now and uh, paying for my overindulgence.
1: <laughs> hey, it's a holiday. You're allowed to overindulge.
0: <laughs> That's what my uh, colleagues keep saying, but it actually was work, honestly.
1: <laughs> Likely story, Ali. <laughs> I've heard that before.
0: <laughs> so tell me, Hector, what about yourself? How have you been keeping?
1: I've been good. My God, I can't believe we're hurtling towards sort of the mid-year already. But the thing that I'm most excited about most recently, I went to go see the new Top Gun. Have you seen it yet?
0: No, but I think I've got the same uh, skin advisor as... uh the lead actor
1: <laughs> if you do i'm gonna have to wrestle you for the for your uh, for your skin doctor's details my god the man hasn't aged literally he looks exactly the same in the 1986 top gun that he does in the 2022 what is his secret Ali?
0: yep that's the what was it the secret of life isn't it lo- <laughs> someone's got the
1: fountain of Exactly. And that's that fountain to be in of the use. back garden. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, sign me up to whatever he's having. Well, look, today is, is the third episode of the Tax Files, where we are joined by Malcolm Richardson, who is the global head of tax at FTSE 100 listed investment manager EMG. What can I say about Malcolm? The chairman of the City Fund Managers, an active member of the Investment Association Tax Committee, and a prominent speaker at a plethora of industry events. In my eyes, a true industry leader in his own right.
0: Indeed. Uh, We will shortly begin by asking Malcolm, uh, may I add amongst all the illustrious sort of like uh, accolades that he's a good friend of mine as well and of yours, uh, actor, I believe. So that's uh, always a good one. We'll be asking Malcolm about his career journey. Uh, We will discuss a variety of matters, including the skills and dare I say the temperament required to run an in-house tax function. Uh, some recent tax developments and also the changing workplace. So last but not least, we will be taking Malcolm through the rapid fire round at the end where we get to know him a bit better.
1: Exactly. Well, look, it gives me great amount of pleasure to introduce Malcolm Richardson. Malcolm, welcome. We're delighted to have you with us. How's your week been so far?
2: Thank you, Echo. And thank you for having me. Yes, my week so far has been very good. It's good to be back in the office. Uh, And I'm noticing a big change in more and more people coming back. And I must admit, I, for one, have struggled with COVID and lockdown and working from home. So actually, it's good to be back. And it's good to be talking to yourself and Ali today.
0: Malcolm, always a pleasure. And um, I'll kick off by asking you you know, you've enjoyed an, an illustrious career at the city. Uh, perhaps you can share with our listeners the key, momentous, career defining moments in your tax journey uh, that have brought you to where you are today.
2: It's very kind of you to say, Ali, about my career. Uh, yes, I suppose I took a slightly different route to becoming head of tax of a FTSE 100 company in that I left school with A-levels, didn't go to university, went and joined a firm of chartered accountants, a very small firm of chartered accountants, and actually doing my exams, I really found that I enjoyed the tax bit more than the other part. Certainly anyone who's done auditing will probably say that that can be quite painful at times. So I got into tax at quite an early age and I joined m g uh, back in 1987, which feels like a long time ago now. And I was quite lucky, I believe, because I joined what is a very good company and a company that has always treated people with respect and actually if you're good enough you will get on at M&G and certainly that's certainly what happened with me so I do think that I joined the right company and you may say well why have you never left that company well it's because I've enjoyed working there and I've also enjoyed working in the industry I do believe we are very lucky that we work in an industry with good people Uh, if I look at you know, my peers, you know, they're all really good people and people who I've enjoyed working with. So that's, that's been a real, that's a big plus. There's not many people that can say you enjoy going to work. Well, I do. And that's
0: why I still do it. Mm. Well, I mean, Malcolm, you're not alone. Most people don't, uh, from at least I talk to intend to get into the tax profession Uh, they're accidental heroes they fall into it Uh, most kids when they're growing up they will want to be pilots and train drivers and so on but anyway here we are you have been at MG for a very long time you know at a time that we hear a lot about the great resignation Uh, you have managed to stay put and uh kudos to you i'm going to sound like a marriage counselor now but uh, tell me how do you keep to manage your job engaging and exciting i think to to be honest
2: and <laughs> this is going to sound i don't know a bit blasé but i think managing a team and quite a large team i've quite a large team of people who have stayed with me for a long time i do think personal skills are so important and i've always believed that you should treat people how you want to be treated so i suppose whether it's come to me naturally i found man management if you like want for a better phrase you know quite natural to me i think at school i did a lot of team sports so i was always a team player and i just think the the work is so interesting You know, if I look back over my career and what, you know, what has happened, we've we've gone almost, dare I say, we've gone a full circle. But certainly, if I think back to those, you know, the 90s and early 2000s, the tax world was very different to what it is today. And dealing, dare I say, with regulators, HMRC was very different to how we deal with regulators today and I, I do think you have to move with the times, dare I say. Uh, <laughs> but I think the fact that the work's been interesting, there's never a dull moment, it certainly helped.
1: Yeah. Malcolm, you, you correctly identified there. You you have got a team of people that have, you know, followed you through your journey and, and have been with you for a really long time, which obviously incites a level of loyalty and, and brought buying into the business and I think you've done that so well. Uh, You manage one of the biggest teams in in the kind of asset management space from a tax perspective and I think that's testament to kind of your leadership and, and what you've done over the years. Tell me what do you look for in terms of the softer skills when you're hiring?
2: I look and again Ali will notice but a long time years ago in the tax profession you would get what I would call tax geeks people who are you know know the legislation inside out but actually aren't very good at one-to-ones and dealing with people and you could survive years ago being like that i do think it's much harder today so what i look for generally in people is people who are rounded people who you know don't put themselves first but put the team first i you know i do think that what's the saying the sum is greater than the parts i do think that's so important and again the people who i've employed most people i've met somewhere in the industry whether it's sometimes it may be on a golf course but i've met people before and then they've come in for an interview and it's like yes, we know each other. Yes, I know you can do the job. Yes, you're a good person. And that's what I look for. And I've been very lucky that most of the people that I've employed, I've gone from a very small team to a large team. And over that time, that team, the people have stayed with me and I think it's, as I said earlier, it's how you treat people. I always say you can, you can retain people by paying people lots of money. But realistically, hell, hell, that's not tenable in the long term. Or you can give them interesting work and give them autonomy. Let them make decisions. And that's something I've always done. I've always delegated. My team would probably say I delegate too well. But I've always delegated, and I have never, very rarely have I overridden, overrode someone's decision, because I don't think that's in the best interest, as long as they're factually and technically correct, of course. So, yeah, I think it's treat people well. Let them empower people is the phrase I'm looking for, I suppose.
1: It's a testament to a true leader, I guess, somebody who can... Delegate appropriately and and kind of obviously know when to step in when they have to. You, you you kind of hit a really interesting point there, Malcolm, around the evolution of the tax professional from going from, you know, kind of very textbook and, and very about the technical aspects to that changing over the years and becoming a function that I guess essentially is is a business facing function and needs to be able to have conversations with peers as well as they do C-suite and, and sort of, you know, the directors of, of the business. How do how do you keep up with the evolution? How do you constantly change and, and challenge yourself in, in an environment that's changing at the speed of light?
2: It's a good question. I do, I do think that you have to keep up to date. I do think you you know that's a given. You you need to know what's you know what is going on, what's coming down the line next. I also think that you need to you know. Enjoy what you're doing. We spend a lot of time at work and I always feel I know my work colleagues probably better than I know my wife. I'd never tell her that, of (laughs) course. But that's how sometimes I spend a lot more time with my work colleagues. And I just think you need to make sure that you, you know, you're constantly, you know, challenging yourself. You're constantly making sure you're up to date and, as I say, it's definitely changed. The whole environment has changed. You know, my job now is as much about reporting to boards, going to, you know, senior execs, board meetings, and giving them the assurance that, you know what, there's no skeletons out there. We don't want to be on the front page of a newspaper. We have a listed company, we've got shareholders, and no one is going to Thank me if all of a sudden we're in the headlines for doing something we shouldn't be doing. And I think you you know, you can soon get in a mess. You have to be very careful. It's certainly changed, as I say, from where we were back in, as I say, the early two thousands.
1: So, on that subject, I, with the changing landscape of tax and, and kind of obviously how that's all changed over um, over the course of the last sort of God, years that you've been with M&G, what, what for you is one of the major sort of legislation changes that's impacting your day-to-day at the moment?
2: I think if I go back, I do think in some of the things that changed, certainly in the first of all in the mid 2000s or late 2000s we had the financial crash and that suddenly changed the whole tax landscape because all of a sudden if you like tax we know we front page news was how much tax in the uk is companies like you know your google starbucks these sorts of companies that we all know everyone knows these companies Amazon, Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of a sudden, it was front page news because of the financial crisis. We then had, which I think was very clever by HMRC. HMRC brought in a set of tax rules for large companies called Senior Accounting Officer. Yep. And all of a sudden, that put an onus on companies to ensure that their controls and processes and systems were fit for purpose you could no longer say my tax return is wrong because the accountants gave me the wrong information that was no longer acceptable and then of course we've had something that came in which is still with us which is the whole BEPS process so the 15 action points BEPS came in what my memory but 2013 yeah and all of a sudden whether companies have fully adhered to the BEPS you know those 15 proposals or not it has changed companies outlook the other thing that came along all of a sudden was you had tax on the boardroom agenda you had risk reporting which as i say was a big change so you know how do we cover off tax risk it's become and i've spoken at several conferences over the years on tax risk and what we have to do and you know that's that's really important to boards and to companies so i do think it's been a combination of HMRC's change in attitude, people's change in attitude around people who are not paying. And there's a big debate around what is the correct amount of tax or what is the fair amount of tax. We would say that we pay the correct amount of tax. Whether that's fair or not is possibly a different question. But we also have to publish a tax strategy. So that you know, whoever would have thought that companies would be publishing how they conduct their tax affairs—that's publicly available. You can go onto our website. You know, that's something that I never thought that we would be doing. You know, we've had calls, haven't we, over the last? I think maybe it was it David Cameron that suddenly had to publish parts of his tax return. You know, whoever would have thought that we would have, you know. A tax return is Santrasek. It's an individual's private thing. And yet, yeah. here we've got people saying you should be publishing your tax return. Now, that possibly a step too far. Yeah. But we, as a large corporate, have to publish our tax strategy and have to do things like country by country reporting, which there is a big call and it's already coming for public country by country reporting so people can see how much tax we are paying and where we are operating.
0: So, Malcolm, that's really interesting. I mean, a quick uh, journey through some of the key developments in the tax integrity agent and, you know, sort of like it's a large part of my own practice. What I thought would be interesting is to hear your view around that, which is with this increased demand on transparency and reporting that goes with it, do you think uh, it's too much reporting or you think, well, reporting, or should I say, is too much regulation? Is it over-regulated or you think it's about right? Or, uh, you know, what's your view on that?
2: Ali, it's a good question. I, I do think that where we've got to now, whether we like it or not, we have to do it. There is an expectation that we will do this reporting. So whether that's things like we feed in to the to, you know, the FTSE 100 total tax contribution, we feed in how much tax we are paying. You can look, as I say, in our tax strategy, we publish all the different taxes and the amounts of tax we pay. I just think once that, if you like, once that's out there, it's very difficult to go back, which again is why, you know, our tax strategy is 11 pages long. And sometimes people say to me, well, shouldn't it be longer? And my retort back is, well, once you put it out there, it's very difficult not to publish at least the same again, the next year and the year after. So I do think we've, do I think it's too much or too little? I think it is where it is. We don't have much choice in the matter. I do think that, you know, the, as I say, the world has moved on. Our relationship, you mentioned transparency. Our relationship with HMRC is very transparent. So much different to how it was, you know, years ago, we were part of Prudential PLC. They were very litigious as an organization. We've now span off and we're our own listed company. And where we are today is light years from where we were years ago as regards how we deal with HMRC, which personally I think is a good thing. Does it give us any favours? I'm not sure, if I'm honest. But at least we can pick up the phone. We have a CCM because we're a large taxpayer. If we've got an urgent issue, we can at least pick up the phone, which I do wonder how small and medium-sized companies get on. You know, we do have that one advantage, but we are transparent.
0: I mean, I think that it's an interesting one because obviously talking to many organisations, it is about your personal brand, what you say about yourself, uh, and the path that you take. You know, uh, one doesn't want to obviously create a rod for one's own back, but I think sometimes having that very open, transparent relationship does help in the long run. Uh, the difficulty, as you probably know, is, you know, you look around and you may do eleven pages of uh, disclosure, but you know, it's inconsistent across the industry and the people who basically do the minimum and perhaps, you know, they're not even legally uh, compliant. Um, so it's an interesting one. So we'll be watching that brief, um, Al, um, you're obviously have had a really big, uh, impact on the asset management industry and, and been on various boards and. Uh, organizations, which has, you know, debated and entered into discussions with Treasury and other policymakers. I mean, do you think that, uh, you know, historically, UK has been a benign regime, has provided a benign regime for managers, but not been that successful as a location for fund domicile? Um, And there's been stops and starts, there've been various products, things like pension fund pooling vehicles, which came and went and nobody really took them up. I mean, do you think that's about to change with the uh, qualified asset holding companies?
2: It's an age-old question, isn't it, around how do we make ourselves more competitive? Have we got the right regimes in place? I think the UK have been very lucky that asset management companies like to be in the UK and certainly you know, we've got good schools, we've got, it's a good place to live. So I do think from an asset management position, I think we're in a good location. As regards fund location, that's a very, you know, M&G were one of the few houses, one we, that was successful. You know, our motto was, man, you know, manufacture once, distribute many. So we only had one main product, which was a UK product. And we were very successful in distributing that product into Europe, also into Asia, which everyone said we wouldn't be able to do. And we did that. So, but it all comes down to investment performance. I do believe if you've got investment performance, you will be able to, it doesn't matter where that fund is. Certainly Brexit hasn't helped initially and we had to set up a range of, you know, Luxembourg funds because of not being able to sell out funds into some European locations post Brexit. So that has certainly been a challenge to M&G, probably unlike other fund houses. And what HM Treasury and HMRC are trying to do in making us more competitive with regimes like you say, the asset-holding regime, is, a, is, is, is they should be applauded. My only concern is you can go to Luxembourg and do that. You can go to Ireland and do it. And my only concern is is fund houses tend to repeat what they've already done so if you've already got a set of funds in luxembourg that can do can do exactly the same and you've been doing it for a number of years why would you change you've also got to think who our investors are their pension schemes the big investors pension schemes life companies they tend to be pretty prudent in the structures they invest in and what i mean by that is They like tried and tested. So if you go to them with a new shiny vehicle, you may not be successful. And it's very difficult. And we've had different vehicles over the time, haven't we? Things like the ACS, you know, Authorized Contractual Scheme. You know, have they really taken off? We've got now set up. We're using one. And I know a few other life companies are. But they're not, you know, they haven't really taken off. And we've seen that over the time. But I do think it's an an uphill battle to get people to change what's already working.
0: So I I, I agree with you. Uh, And in the past, there hasn't been, as you say, a compelling reason to move away from the existing uh, platforms and pathways. But do you think sort of like in a post-Brexit environment where the Europeans are pushing ahead with the likes of, say, for example, DAC6 and ATAD 3 and so on, that that would help UK's uh, fund management industry?
2: I I certainly think it will do. I certainly think, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, ATAD 3 you know, is going to, again, you know, for us, ATAD 3 is not, a problem per se, but what it will we will find is is that our large investors, they may probably have a checklist and they will say, You know, have you got any shell companies in your structure? If so, we don't want to invest. and it's things like that, it's the perception that will come that will cause you problems in the, in the long run with things like that but i do think we are there's it's an opportunity we've got an opportunity the uk has an opportunity and in certain areas things like vat they've got a big opportunity to tr- to to change things and to make the uk the place to locate your funds and you know whether they do that or not, of course, could come down to, let's be honest, you know, they haven't got deep pockets. They won't want to give away much. We know that. So they've got to be careful. But we also need to be competitive.
1: Absolutely. You mentioned VAT there. I guess uh, an element of tax that, if anything, is has sort of been changing from a technology point of view at the, at the rate of light, right? All this around automation and making tax digital and, and everything that associates with that. How has the tax landscape changed with the introduction of technology for you?
2: It has changed without a shadow of a doubt. VAT, you know, making tax digital was first brought in for VAT. It's now being brought in for corporation tax returns. Uh, and I don't, you have to move with technology. There is no question you have to move. I also think tax departments are having to change because... As I mentioned earlier, you know, earlier, HMRC have changed. When I speak to HMRC, which I do on a regular basis, you know they will say to me that they no longer do their old-fashioned tax audits like they used to. They want to look at our systems. They want to know which systems we're using. And they do their audits on a risk-based approach. So having people in your tax department that, you know, dare I say, you know, ticking and bashing numbers is not what HMRC are interested in. What HMRC are interested in is technology and they will look at where they see it the and riskier areas. So, have you got the right systems in place? How are you doing your, you know, if you take VAT, you know, partial exemptions, complex. See, it's difficult to get a system to do partial exemption, but that's what they will want to see. They don't want people doing manual calculations. You know, you can't do that anymore. And you're not, as I say, you're not gonna get those old fashioned audits anymore. It's more, you know, systems questionnaires. What are your capabilities? What systems are you using? You know, what links do you have so that it's straight through processing? So that means I've got to recruit slightly different people, if I'm honest. You've got to have people that are very, you know, technically minded because that's what you're going to need as well as you've still got to have those tax skills, of course. So I'm not, you know, dumbing down on people who know legislation, but you need the technology to get, you know, so that you can produce your returns. You know, we think of, you know, what's coming down the, the, the line with Pillar 2. Pillar 2 is all around consolidation and getting, you know, your t- profits and your tax that you're paying. You're going to have to, you can't manually do that. It's got to be system developed. So you need tax technology without a shadow
1: of a doubt. Absolutely. And I think, you know, kind of recapping that conversation, it's a lot around how that evolution has happened over the years. And, you know, this thing around tax transparency and fair tax and, and that development has happened over over the course, I'm sure, of the entirety of your career leading to this point now. L- looking into the future, what does the future hold, in your opinion, from a tax perspective?
2: I think, I do think tax departments and tax, you know, tax teams will have to change, there's no doubt to my mind, that you know, I've got a large tax team, as you say, one of the largest ones in the industry, you cannot just keep on recruiting people, because eventually businesses will say, hold on a minute, you can't just keep on recruiting tax people, you know, you need to work more efficiently, and that is with technology, I still come back to the point as well, it's about a risk-based approach so that's where things will change you've got to focus on getting the big things right and if we miss a tax return that gives us a hundred pound fine well that happens i'm not going to lose any sleep over that but you've got to get the big things right and that's going to be without shadow of a doubt it's, it's tax technology it's it's making sure you can deliver Quickly, your results and your tax numbers, and it's you know, and you've got to look at that risk-based approach. I really do believe tax teams have got to—I to use a phrase—do more with less. you have got to do more, but they've got to do it with less resource. So, if you've got less resource, you've got to use technology to bridge the gap.
0: Great. So, Malcolm there's a friend of mine, uh, Richard Susskind, who's written a book called the future of the professions. And he essentially basically says that people like you and me uh, are a dying breed and future won't have any space for us because it's gonna be AI, artificial intelligence who will be doing all of this. And particularly in say, for example, when you can have robo investors, so you've got robots basically making investment decisions in the asset management house. Do you think asset management industry is going to have tax advisors in the future? (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I, I personally do because at the end of the day I still think people want that interaction and that human dare I say touch. I also think that it's it's especially in something like tax and fund structuring, no two no two models are the same, and that's all very well having, as you say, AI. That you can, you know, the system says this is the answer sort of thing. I don't think that you can do that for certain things I agree with, but I still think there is a role. There's a role for both, let's be honest. You've got to have that human interaction. You've got to have that, dare I say, gut feeling, Mm. you know, does this look right? Does this smell right sort of thing? Should we be doing this? I still think there's a a demand for that, as well as having, if you've got systems that can help, you know, analyze spreadsheets and, dare I say, things like disallowables, capital, you know, especially capital allowances. Yes, artificial intelligence. We've got a couple of robots that we use that do quite a lot of of that returns. So they take all the systems, they take all the invoices, they go into the ledger, they produce the VAT return, they do all the checks and balances. You know, we've developed robots to do that. But that works if you've got a set defined process. You still need someone to look at the output. Does this look right? Hmm. Are we sure it's right sort of thing?
0: Okay, so I'm good for the next 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> don't worry guys <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think the specializations are difficult to replicate and as you say the higher level judgments they're difficult to code in because that's really about experience so uh, hector we're going to have to uh, watch that space and uh, stay in touch with you
1: absolutely i mean you, you hit the nail on the head around the technology piece i mean absolutely it is a part of the way that DNA and tax teams are evolving but what doesn't or what doesn't sort of obviously replicate anything is the human interaction element, right? The interpretation, the analysis and, and the kind of interpretation from a wider business stance point. So I think while technology is absolutely you know key for automated processes and things like the VAT side, etc. What we haven't necessarily seen as of yet, and don't be speaking too early because who knows where, where my job might be outsourced to a bunch of robots in about 10 years time. Um, but I think that the main part of it is, is still having you know that that level of surface interaction and, and people being able to have the human expertise, I guess, around the interpretation of what the automation produces um, in this next phase.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much. That was an interesting set of discussions. Um, but before I move on to the rapid fire round, I just wanted to recap what we have covered today. Uh, so after the, introducing you, Malcolm. Um, We discussed a little little bit about your background and how, you know, your work pattern is changing, particularly sort of like the in-house role. But then we went on to discuss a little bit about, you know, what are the pertinent tax issues, particularly for the asset management industry. And we rounded it off by a discussion around some future developments. Okay. So with that, okay, exactly. I think we're ready for the next round.
1: Absolutely, we are. Malcolm, my favourite bit of the, uh, the podcast. Now we get to know you as a person in a bit more detail. Um, are you ready for what we call the rapid fire round?
2: I'm not so sure I'm ready, but go ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's world famous now, Malcolm. Don't worry about it. We're going to give you a series of questions to kick off, and you've got to choose your preference. Are you ready? Okay. Cool. Well, let's start with an easy one. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Man City or Man United?
2: I would say neither, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> uh, if I had to pick, I would say Manchester United.
1: Apple or Android? Apple. Next holiday destination? Turkey. Favourite actor?
2: Oh, Piers Brosnan.
1: Favourite movie?
2: Uh no, good time to die.
1: That's a good one. Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks?
2: Tom Cruise.
1: Big Mac or a Whopper? Big Mac. If you're on death row, Malcolm, what would your last meal be?
2: It would be a Indian.
1: Oh, left field. <laughs> and lastly, Malcolm, coffee or two? tea? Tea. Nice. You survived it. <laughs> Good effort.
0: So, <laughs> Malcolm, what have you been spending your time on lately? Outside of work, of course. Uh, to,
2: to, to be honest, yeah. I play a lot of golf, alley, So I do, I'm quite a big golfer. So that's my way of relaxing, if I'm honest. Uh, I managed to get out. Once or twice a week, mainly at weekends, sometime on a Friday afternoon. But yeah, I do play a lot of golf and I enjoy it. I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a great golfer, but I enjoy it and I enjoy the company. It's given me a lot of, uh, as I said at the start, we've had a lot of good friends in this industry and some of them play golf. So it's quite nice to get out with with some colleagues and go and have a game of golf. And we've all got the same issues so when it comes to work so mm. you know it's good sometimes to relax and yes. you know play golf fresh air great countryside
0: yeah therapy oh, so on the you, golf course <laughs> are you are you going to share with us your uh, uh, handicap
2: i'm off at 18 at the moment it's it's uh, the lowest i got to was 14.4 so I've been down to fourteen. I'm now off eighteen. But I actually just play golf to enjoy it. If I'm honest, I don't let it.
0: There I say I don't let it beat me up. Sure, sure, no, I completely understand. So in terms of you know your extracurricular uh, activities, is there a book that you've recently been reading that's really sparked your imagination, that's had an impact on you?
2: The, the books I read tend to be, so I, I read quite a few uh, Peter James books. So I read his books that are all based down in Brighton. You know, they're thrillers, crimes. I read those. I also read quite a few books there, I say, on the Second World War. And again, leading up to the Second World War in 1930s Germany. Uh, and it's quite a sobering thought, really, that mankind can be can do things that you couldn't imagine that they could do. And are we seeing it now? Possibly. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. But it's yeah, that keeps me. It does keep you pretty grounded, if I'm honest, when you read yeah. back about. I think it's important to know about history and what's going on. So I tend to. For my sort of escapism, I read, you know, crime and thrillers and things like that. But for a bit of reality, I go back into history and I do find that quite fascinating.
1: What's that
0: famous... uh, Oh, after you. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, I think we're picking up a pattern here. This is our third guest who basically is into crime fiction.
1: I know, exactly. Crime and, and war, well, war history and history books. I mean, I was going to say, what is that famous quote? You don't know where you're going until you know where you've come from, right? Um, and I think history is, is so important to read. Fun fact for you, Malcolm, about Peter James. Did you know that he was the former glove maker to the Queen? Just in honour of Jubilee weekend.
2: No, I didn't.
1: There we go. <laughs> Learn something new every day on this podcast, guys. <laughs> well, look, Malcolm, you, you have been an inspiration for me and a career mentor for me for over 12 years now. Uh, what piece of information or advice would you like to leave our audience with?
2: I, I come back to the point about always be true to yourself. Always treat people how you want to be treated. You never know what's round the corner and, you know, you never know what's going to happen in this world. So I just think you should always treat people with respect. And I don't think you will go far wrong if you do that. But you should be true to yourself.
0: Always be true to yourself.
1: That's a great message.
0: I Look, you know, it's been a pleasure having you. And he, Malcolm is one of those uh, industry doyens who is exactly that, a real gentleman. And it's been
2: a pleasure knowing you. Likewise, Ali. It's been a pleasure knowing you over the years.
1: Well, listeners, thank you for listening to The Tax Files. It's been a pleasure having you join us. Please subscribe and get in contact if you wish to discuss any of these topics with us and our team, or if you have any questions at all. We will catch you here again at the same time next month with the most esteemed guest. To stay up to date with announcements, updates and guest reveals, please follow Hansuki on LinkedIn.
0: Thank you very much. We hope to see you soon again.